Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Ann Friedman. And I'm Amina Tuso. And this is a special little off-week episode. I Maybe our first ever, two weeks in a row, publishing a podcast. But yeah, I know, big milestone. Our, we have a little goal to, in the some of our off-weeks, hit you with like a mini episode or a phone-a-friend conversation with someone who we know who is doing something cool which is exactly what you did this week. Yeah, so this week I talked to our core lady and uh, really badass feminist, Irene Carmone, about the new RBG book that she has out, Notorious RBG. Oh. If you don't own it, you should buy it. It's amazing. The Life and Times or something like that. What is the subtitle? It's about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, it's like The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. A huge icon for both of us. And yeah. And I describe the book to everybody as a, a feminist mezuzah, Jewish <laughs> reference for you people out there. Have one in your house. Make sure all of the people that you love have one as well. I definitely bought several copies for the feminist lawyers in my life and sent them uh, along with love notes for using the power of the law to advance our feminist aims, shedding a single tear right now because of how proud I am of them. <laughs> I know. I ordered so many of them that the post office lady made fun of me and then I gave her a copy. And <laughs> And she was very happy. And you were like, here, now you'll understand. I'm like, I'm swimming in RBG books. Amazing. So, so yeah, so you talked to Erin. Yeah, you know, I talked to Erin, and it, she made this, like, really important point about dispelling the notion that just because young women care about something, that it has to be frivolous. Because so much of the press around this book is, oh, wow, a Tumblr turned into a book, or, oh, wow, young women have turned a meme into, <laughs> you know, like, a book that's probably, you know, like, let's be honest, going to be on the bestseller list very soon. They're doing so well. Right. And so many of the older or, like, more established journalists writing about this are just, like, always asking, like, why do you think RBG is having a moment? And it's like, well, because RBG, like, embodies everything that strong women love. Are you kidding me? It's so obvious to us. Everything like smart strategy, incredible brilliance, really strong signature style, everything totally. we care about. <laughs> you know, like she's she's a workhorse. And also like RBG has just been talking about like really important like woke stuff that people are still arguing about on the like cover of the like in the op-ed pages of the New York Times. RBG's been talking about that stuff since the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Right, with this incredible strategic long view that I think is is something that I really struggle with sometimes, like trying to think about what's happening now as a piece of a really, really long fight or arc or whatever you want to call it toward a world that we want to see. It's like she's like living that. Exactly. And, you know, just on like a very selfish note, it's so exciting to see Erin flex her muscle into other stuff. She just writes so wonderfully about so many things already. And this book is really a labor of love. And you can tell like every page is so carefully crafted and done. And it's just a pleasure to read. So I'll let you listen to the interview. But um, it's a pleasure, I promise. Can't wait. Hi, Erin. Hey, Amina. 
I am so excited that you're on book tour because obviously I love the book and of course I love you. Uh, it's been getting glowing reviews everywhere. Especially love the one in the New York Times where Jen Senior affirmed something that all of us who know you very well know that you're a whip smart feminist. <laughs> that made me really, really, really happy. So I guess the first thing I want to ask you is if you could talk a little bit about the book writing process. Your co-author is our mutual lady friend, Shayna Kaznick. Shayna passed the bar on the day that the book dropped, so congrats, Shayna. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to write a book with somebody else? Yeah, and, and you know what? Both you and I have uh, names that are constantly mispronounced, so I feel okay correcting you that it's Shana Kaznick. I always call her Shayna, and she never corrects me. I know. Well, you know how it is. She should have corrected me. I just told one of the hosts at the network where I work that he's been mispronouncing my name for years, and he got so mad. And then in the segment, he said my name like literally every second. He's like, Wellerin, Wellerin, Wellerin. Well, you want to know the other funny part is that the person who introduced Shauna and I also calls her Shana. Okay, well, Shauna and I like to say that it was a shidduch. It was a matchmake that became a very happy marriage, very equal marriage, egalitarian in the vein of RBG herself. Originally, it was just going to be like, Shauna will deal with the images and you deal with the words. But there was so much reporting to do and there were so many documents to go through, all her legal writing, the briefs, the opinions, the dissents, and so on, oral argument transcripts. So we both ended up being really team members on the reporting, which was, to me, one of the most important things, because I knew people thought that it would just be a kind of cashing in on the Tumblr, you know, have cute photos thing. But both of us felt really strongly that it needed to be more substantive than that to do her any justice. Yes, we did use that pun all the time. You know, ultimately it made the most sense for me to write it because I am a writer primarily and I had to figure out how to craft the narrative and the arc of it. But we came up with the chapters together. We came up with all of the, you know, the fact that we have with permission, biggie lyrics as the names of all the chapters, which photos went where. Those are decisions that we made together. We both interviewed people. And I have to say, I really recommend writing a book with someone as long as it's someone cool and brilliant the way Shauna is because we were able to share with each other every cool discovery that we made. And so, you know, no matter how understanding your partner is, your partner doesn't actually give a shit. <laughs> you know, like your partner cares about you and what you're going through, but ultimately, like, they can't understand how good it feels when you're like, oh, oh my God, I found this document. And so to be able to text Shauna and be like, holy shit, you can't believe this, and vice versa you know, we worked on a shared Tumblr that we both had passwords to. And so she'd let me know when she put up a new interview. And then I got to see, oh, my God, you guys, you got the best story from that guy. That's incredible. That's totally going to be in the book. Do you remember the first time that you encountered the uh, notorious RBG meme? I'm trying to remember. You know, I, I remember seeing the first RBG meme that I ever saw was actually before the amazing memes that you and Shauna created in the summer of 2013. And that was the fall of 2012. It was election day, and there was a picture of RBG, actually the same one that you guys used in You Can't Spell Truth Without Ruth, which I think is from the D.C. Circuit. And she, and it's uh, Simi Knox is the name of the painter. Uh, and I think she, he's a, a black artist who wasn't sort of part of the regular portrait scene. And she saw his portraits and was like, I want that guy to paint me. They used that painting, and it said something like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not have cancer twice and never miss a day on the bench so that you could stay home and watch Law and & Order instead of voting. 
<laughs> that's so amazing. I didn't know that about that painting at all. That's great. Yeah, so it would, and I, I saw that meme and I tweeted it. I think I saw it on Facebook, then I put it on Twitter and Rob Delaney retweeted me and all of a sudden it had like a, it was literally on election day and it had like a thousand tweets. And I just remember thinking, oh yeah, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that's cool. And then all of a sudden it was like poof everywhere. When I am at the notorious RBG, your eminence, I was kind of a blubbering mess because of how much she just meant to me personally, but I knew I had to hold it together because as like most cool lady heroes she's actually not super warm and fuzzy but she's very firm and steely what were you thinking the first time that you got to meet her because you did this you did that amazing interview with her on msnbc that's so great but i assume that you had met her before i had seen her speak before and i'd been at at dinners with her but i had never really interacted with her until she walked into the room in the supreme court and there were four cameras and an entire tech crew and the Supreme Court Public Information Officer, it was the biggest day of my career to date. So it was goddamn terrifying. It it just felt like the most high stakes 30 minutes of my life. You know, it's interesting because every interaction that I've had with her, and, and I'm lucky that I've had a few since, she, you think, oh, she's so reserved. I don't want to invade her space. Everybody wants a piece of this person. You know, like that's kind of how you always feel with somebody who's famous, like when you're not working and you're just kind of hanging out or or like you just pass by them or something, I always think like, oh, everyone has asked for a piece of this person. I don't want to be another thing trying to take away from them right now. Yeah, exactly. So after the interview was over, you know, I thanked her and I said, you know, we're really looking forward. We're doing this book and so on. And she obviously knew that I was doing the book, but then she just wanted to keep chatting. And every interaction I've had with her, I'm always surprised that I always think it's over because she's so reserved in her affect but then she'll keep asking questions or she'll keep being like, oh, so where in Tel Aviv are your parents from? Or I really like your necklace. Or, you know, the last time I saw her, she told me that she was going to the opera the next night because she knows I love opera. Or she'll say, you know, we were talking about how Natalie Portman is going to play her in a movie. And she's like, oh, she's like you. She was born in Israel. Just the best. And um, <laughs> I think that if she told me that she liked my necklace, the earth would probably swallow me whole. And that would be the last day of my life. R.I.P. Amina. I know, especially because she's the necklace queen. Uh, she's the neck accessory queen. And, exactly. And, Her neckwear is, like, untouchable. And it was my grandmother's necklace. And my grandmother is no longer living but was born within a year or two of RBG. So it felt like I wore the necklace as a talisman and she noticed. Well, you know, as somebody who has lived with you, I will say this. Your accessory game is also unparalleled. You have some, like, sick necklaces. Thank you. So it's kind of perfect. Do you know what her reaction to the book has been? I saw that she sent you guys corrections, and I love that because I think that it's so in keeping of her spirit of integrity and being very rigorous. Yes. Well, I'm very happy that we're going to have a second edition that is going to be free of error. One of them was I described someone as her constitutional law professor, but he was a constitutional law professor. She took a different class with him. So he wasn't her constitutional law professor. And I was like, Carol's made after run a correction for that. But I understand she didn't get where she is by being sloppy or cutting corners. I think she's amused by it. I'm never really sure how much I'm supposed to share the interactions that are not official interactions. But I would say we've been really happy with how she's reacted to it. And the best thing this week was seeing on two different occasions photos on social media of her signing the book. One of them, a book belonging to Claire McCaskill, which she then tweeted. I know, that killed me. Claire McCaskill, like, first using on fleek. Painful. 
You know, I, I don't think it was painful. I thought it was really sweet because I think that it's in keeping with the youthfulness of the of the book. But also I love that Claire McCaskill is freaking out at the fact that Notorious RBG is signing her book. I'm like, yes, this is entirely justified. Yeah, no, we were shrieking. We were super excited about it. I really like that our book spans the range between the Broad City Girls doing a Notorious RBG kind of costume video, web video, and Claire McCaskill. You know, that's like the full range of, or a broad range of ways to be a feminist in terms of like your language or your discourse. That's so perfect. So on this podcast, we talk a lot about friendships and understanding friendships. The one that I think baffles a lot of people is Justice Scalia. And I love that I'm just going to keep calling her Notorious RBG from now until the end of time. But, you know, they go to the opera together, their family spend holidays together, and a lot of people are really baffled by that, right? Because they have this, like, ideological opposite on the court. But I think that you have shown through your work and through your reporting that actually that's really in keeping with the kind of person that she is and the, and the spirit that she has. So I was wondering if you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I always think that she did not get to where she is by only being friends with people who agree with her, because she was often the only one. She was one of only nine women in her Harvard Law School class. She was a feminist who was pushing the ACLU to start paying attention to women and create their own women's rights division. So she always wanted to kind of branch out into areas where there weren't other people like her. And that means building alliances. The other thing I think that is a paradox with her is that she's so reserved and seems so serious, but she really values a sense of humor. And say what you will about Scalia, he, you know, he can turn a good line. He's a witty guy and he's quick on his feet. I mean, he, you know, he's an old fashioned sexist in a lot of ways, but he cracks her up and that's the highest possible compliment from her. Yeah, when she invited us to come visit her at the Supreme Court, we got to sit in on uh, one of the on one of the cases. It was so boring. It was about tort reform. The whole time I was like, I cannot believe this is like some people's jobs. It's so awful. And it was so early in the morning. I, I'm pretty sure like a guard told me twice to like look awake and alive. <laughs> but I was, re- yeah, it's like sleeping in the Supreme Court, like highly frowned upon if you were in the public. I That was the thing that I was really struck by is that even though this thing was really boring, it was eight o'clock in the morning. You know, Justice Scalia is a really funny dude. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, yeah. you know, if you weren't so busy upholding laws against my body, I think we would also be friends, probably. Yeah, I mean, people compartmentalize. The funny thing is that among Supreme Court nerds, the friendship has become a sort of article of fascination, in particular the fact that they have this New Year's dinner. But Shauna interviewed RBG's grandson, Paul, who's an actor in France. And he was like, ugh, these dinners are so boring. All of these old people dressed up for no reason. And Scalia's 11 kids or whatever. That's so, 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 so amazing. I support it. I support any friendship that means that you get to go to the opera together, honestly. Yes, for real. You know, I also really liked your op-ed in the Times last week. You had, like, such a good New York Times week last week. Let me me just say that, like, as a reader, it was a delight to see you, like, two days in a row. Oh, thank you. Well, we didn't even know when that review was coming out, so. Oh, so good. I'm sure that was nerve-wracking. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, in the op-ed, you, you made really good points, and I think that we talked about, we've touched a lot on talking about the friendship, but also how, you know, she talks so much about having this radical aim and making people work with you, like mm-hmm. working on things that you care about, but really making sure that it's in a way that it mm-hmm. can connect and relate to a lot of people. 
and that is obviously the like kernel of her success right is that she's able to do that yeah and I, I think that that's very useful advice now of all times I mean I, I certainly don't want to sit in judgment of the entire internet because I'm a product of it I'm part of it and I've certainly been part of the outrage fest on the internet but I think while only the internet could have given us turning RBG into an icon only without permission from gatekeepers could this have could this have happened at the same time I, I constantly worry that there's this uh, burnout effect that happens that we all get really angry together and then in the end nothing happens or the fact that everything is pitched at such a high level of catharsis means that people are intimidated or afraid of saying the wrong thing get exhausted and walk away so one of the things that I really admire about RBG is how she always has a long game in mind. She would choose things that looked so obvious and so easy. And so people would follow her that far because, okay, like there's so little at stake in this case. But then all of a sudden, the next step inevitably was leading them closer and closer to where she wanted them to go. And I hope that someday, you know, women won't have to even be using sort of strategic stealth mechanisms. And, and I think, you know, she doesn't think that everyone should do exactly the things that she did. But I do think having some of that long-term strategic thinking is something we could all consider. Honestly, you know, that's what makes her a gangster. So I think, too, that having the hindsight of this enormous body of work is really what draws a lot of especially younger women to her. She's been a gender avenger, you know, for years. And she's been all, you know, all the stuff that she was doing in the 70s and the 80s, people are still arguing about today. And she's been doing that work for a really long time. Yeah, it's funny because sometimes people have been like, why are young women so into her? It's obviously the legitimate question to ask in this kind of project. But Shauna and I have really figured, tried to think about how do we articulate it because it's so obvious to us. Like, duh. And the more you find out about her, the more fascinating it is, because she, I think it took her years to tell some of the stories of the things that she went through. Like, we didn't know, for example, like, we'd heard that story about how when she came to Harvard Law School, she was asked to justify her presence. But I didn't know that she was uh, systematically discriminated against at Rutgers when she was pregnant and when she was she had to hide her pregnancy under baggy clothing or that she was told, oh, of course, we can have to pay you less because your husband has a good job. And that she later filed a class action lawsuit against them and won. Ugh, the best. It makes sense to us, right? But people will always say, like, why do young women care about her? Why is she having right. a moment right now? And young women care about the fact, so they may not know all those details of her life. And we hope that, you know, everyone wants to come find them out in our book. But I think they do know that she stands for something now that's really important and that she speaks out in cases like Hobby Lobby and the Voting Rights Act case, Shelby County versus Holder. I just feel like people don't give young women enough credit. And I think that people think that because young women like something, it must be frivolous. The last thing I want to ask you about, it's a moment in your book that probably makes everybody cry, is that letter from her husband. Marty, can you tell us a little bit more about that? The entire time that we were writing this book, all I could think about was how I wanted to get Marty's letter. Their marriage is so meaningful to understanding her as a person, one of the reasons she could be optimistic about remaking the world so that men and women could be free from gender stereotyping was because in her own marriage, she lived it. She had an extraordinary husband, but they also, you know, worked hard to make sure that they had a real partnership. And 
he was somebody who was the opposite of her in many ways. He was really gregarious. He was really a wisecracker. He had a big personality and they loved each other madly from when they were in college and survived things like him having cancer when they were in law school and they were parents of a toddler. They survived him being sick for a long time. He helped get her on the Supreme Court by lobbying all his friends. He was her champion. He wasn't threatened by her. She always said, Marty was the first boy I ever met who cared that I had a brain. It's funny because the subtext of that is like, she was a really beautiful woman. Yeah. Lots of guys don't care if anyone has a brain, but especially surprised if it's found behind a pretty face. They had this happy marriage uh, over 50 years. And in 2010, he was dying and he wrote her a letter on a yellow pad. My dearest Ruth, you are the only person I've loved in my life, setting aside a bit parents and kids and their kids. And I've admired and loved you almost since the day we first met at Cornell some 56 years ago. What a treat it has been to watch and you progress to the When I read this letter, the just the text of it in The New Yorker, it made me cry. That was like maybe five years ago. And I just thought, oh my God, we need this letter in his handwriting. We need the real letter. I asked and we didn't really hear anything. And then um, I asked again, and we didn't really hear anything. And I talked to other people and it was just, it, I was like, okay, I just have to give up and just think, okay, this is not going to happen. It's a really private thing. And maybe she doesn't want it published, so I should back off. And then right before the book went to press, her son agreed to read it and find any kinds of mistakes we had made after the fact-checking process. And he said, why do you have the letter from my dad in this weird font? You should have the original. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, well, I would like the original. That's correct. We're literally about to go to press and uh, on a very tight deadline, risking the book not coming out on time. And I got an email from RBG. And it said, uh, Dear Irin, my son thought you should have this. I hope you can use it. RBG. Oh my God, I have full body chills. And it was the scan of his letter in his handwriting. That's amazing. And I'm not going to say too much about what's in the letter because I think you should just read it. But it's very simple and very beautiful. And I cry every time I read it. And we did manage to get it into the book in visual form and in text form. And... The funny, ridiculous, insane thing is that had we not gotten the original of the letter, we would not have known that in the margins, RBG corrects her husband in the dying letter. <laughs> you have to love a precise lady, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. He literally says to her, I have loved you. You're the only person I have loved for these 56 years. And she writes in the margin, nearly 60. <laughs> That's so amazing. Well, on that note, I will tell everyone, if you don't go out and buy Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you're a fool. Buy a copy for yourself. Buy one for your best girlfriend. Uh, and Erin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I mean, we consider you a part of our book family. Oh, I'm so honored. That was great. Thank you, Erin. And thanks, Amina, for calling her up so we could have that awesome interview. We'll be back next week with an, a full length. I don't want to call it a real episode because that was a real. regular ass episode. Regular boring ass episode. But until then, we're on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you can find us many places on the internet. Callyourgirlfriend.com on Twitter at callyrgf. 
on iTunes, feel free to leave us a review. I love that I'm sounding like slightly drunk. It's not true. It's like because I have sun chips in my mouth. <laughs> I put anyway, down a yogurt Google to record us. this. <laughs> Just Google it. Uh, Google us. All right. I'll see you on the internet. I'll see you on the internet. <laughs>